Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2020 Actus Conference, which will take place May 5th through 8th at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas. With six educational tracks running at all times, inspirational keynotes, and unparalleled networking, you don't want to miss our lucky 13th event. If you register by March 27th, you'll get our best rate, early bird discount rate, so don't hesitate. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, February 12th, marks our 143rd program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Lessons in CDI Leadership. I'm joined today by one of my familiar co-hosts at left, Sharm uh, Brody. Charm is a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps, as well as a subject matter expert for us here at Actus. Uh, she has about 36 years in the healthcare industry. We were just chatting about this with our guest, who has about the same number of years, um, including multiple areas of nursing and a variety of roles. Prior to joining us here at Actus, Charm worked as a consultant, providing program audits, implementation, and continuing education for CDI departments. You probably have seen her. Uh, she's a, uh, on various boards and committees. She's a member of our CCDS certification committee and has written many articles for our Actus Journal and CDI strategies. Welcome to the program, Charm. Hi, Brian. How are you? Very good. Very good. Glad to have you back. And uh, next, I'd like to introduce our, our special guest today. We have with us today Adelaide LaRosa. So Adelaide is an RN, BSN, CTDS, and a HEMA-approved ICD-10 trainer. She is the CHS Vice President for HIM, CDI, DR DRG Appeals, and EMPI for Catholic Health Services of Long Island. Uh, Adelaide has 36 years of varied clinical healthcare and leadership experience and extensive knowledge of healthcare rev cycle, uh, including ICD-9-CM, now ICD-10-CM, of course, PT, MSDRG methodology, DRG validation, RAC, and third-party insurance denials management. Uh, Adelaide's a recipient of our 2010 Actus Recognition of CDI Professional Achievement Award, and I'm pleased to have her back on the program. She's also a um, due to present for us at the 2020 at our 2020 Precon CDI Management Essentials. So welcome, Adelaide. Thank you, Brian, for having me today as your guest. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started, as we always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pull that open. All right. You guys should be seeing that on your screen. So the question reads, what skill or trait does today's CDI leader need above all others? Would you say it's people and relationships management, CDI staff and physicians, uh, data analysis, analyzing trends, making adjustments based on that data analysis? Um, is it a technology savvy? 
evaluating and using new products, maybe modifying your EHR. Uh, passion and vision, creating a clear mission for your CDI staff, especially with all the various uh, new ad, new review areas that are opening up for CDI or other. Um, if you do have something not listed here, we'd love to have you leave it in the comments. You can just uh, message us that. So again, what skill or trait does today's CDI leader need above all others? Is it people relationships management, data analysis, uh, tech savvy, passion and vision, or other? All right, we're going to go ahead and close this out, and then we will, uh, of course, come back to these results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, um, our guest today is Adelaide LaRosa. Adelaide, welcome to the show, and thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast. Um, so Adelaide, maybe we could start. I know you've risen through the ranks at Catholic Health Services along Island in, in very impressive fashion. Uh, you had me update your bio for today's show. You are now uh, a VP for HIN EDI. Um, could you talk a little bit about your path from what I believe was uh, floor nurse to your current position at the VP level and, and sort of what that entailed along the way? Absolutely. I always said it, I, I always have passion and my passion is how can I make a difference and also a vision of where I want it to be one year, three years, five years or 10 years with my career. And along that, always keeping a sense of humor is very important. Um, I did start my nursing career 36 years ago as a staff nurse at St. Francis Hospital, which is the heart center on Long Island, and bedside nursing I loved. But I also became very interested in hospital reimbursement, and it was so significant, that clinical documentation and its impact on patient care. And I wanted to see how I could make a difference. And so I was a charge nurse. You know, I was learning different areas of cardiac surgery and so forth, but I was so driven by this whole thing, started to talk about DRGs, that I went to work for the local pros. Um, and I learned chart review, coding rules and regulations, and that led me to my next job at a very large health system on Long Island where I implemented, way back then we used to implement what's called DRG validation programs, and that then led to CDI programs. And I kept seeing the value of that clinical knowledge, clinical team, and how we can be involved now with DRG appeals and also expand into the charge master. So my knowledge continued to grow and grow more of linking it to the finance world. I had the opportunity in March 2006 to come back to St. Francis, who's part of the Catholic Health Services of Long Island, and I've had a great love for St. Francis and CHS. And at that time, I was asked to implement a, um, a, a CDI program, which became very robust and successful after a year being there. I think we brought in an additional $10 million by just getting the physicians to document the care. At that point, then I was asked to uh, get more involved with best practice with the other sites, and that's where I moved to a system, a role as director of CDI. During that time, I built a relationship working with HIM, providing clinical um, and coding knowledge. And it became so obvious that we needed to um, become one. And that's where I started to move into oversight of being an AVP, where all HIM was underneath me, then CDI, then had the appeals, and then also the Enter uh, Enterprise Master Patient Index. 
And it was just over the last couple of years where I continued to have that passion and vision. And what do you need to do? Well, the industry words are out there, best practice, consolidation, leveraging resources, re retention, employee engagement. And so it was through many accomplishments that I have have done over the years at CHS, implementing I-10, even developing the education, um, maintaining um, a very stable discharge, not final bill, uh, be part of the epic revenue cycle rollout to all six hospitals, and building relationships that really got me to become um, my new role as now the vice president overlooking um, all of HIM, CDI again, EMPI, DRG appeals. And also having a, a great mentor, my my boss, she she gets it and she hears me and she's she's an advocate of all I do. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that pretty much gives you a little snapshot um, of where I've been. And 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 I yeah. still have my one year, three year, and uh, five year, maybe a ten year uh, plan, depending <laughs> depending on uh, <laughs> where I go. I tell Brian my next title change is, is going is yes, I'm a VP, but I want the next title change or or title to become a grandma. So we hope to achieve that in the future. Yeah, we need to add that to your list of titles. <laughs> hey, Adelaide. Yeah. Be, before we move on, I'm I'm here getting a little background noise. I'm not sure if it's if it's you or Sharm, but someone in just no, I'm okay. I I hear that also, so I believe I'm okay. I hear it right too. Now. Okay, I don't I can't trace the source of that, so we'll we'll keep working on that. But but Sharm, I'll let you carry on here the interview while we track that down. Okay, all right, thank you, um, Adelaide. One of the things that I want to talk about, and I, and I actually think this is really important. Um, can you talk a little bit to the difference? between being a good manager and a good leader. Um, I know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about what characteristics they would like to see in a leader. But um, what do you think about that? You know, I what do you think is say, important as a leader to bring? Yeah, I, I get up every day and I make sure how could I do a better job. I never say that I've, I've I reached that goal to be the best I can especially in leadership, um, you make a difference every day when you enter that room and you set the mood. So I try very hard to say, okay, how can I be um, trusted? How can I mentor? How can I, um, you know, hear the, hear the people? One of the most important things is I never have asked my staff to do anything I don't know how to because I think it's important in order to implement stuff um, many th different things to know that um, what are the obstacles and how can you be there. My my goal as a leader is to pave the path for them to be successful, and that's what I always tell them. If there's something you can't accomplish, that's what I'm here for, because I want them to succeed. I also hold what's called skip meetings. Um, I skip down um, all the levels that are underneath. So uh, I I have the staff meet with me so I remove the managers the supervisors and the directors and I sit with the staff and create a safe place it's not about talking about people or uh, you know um, it's about how can we do a better job where can I make a difference and and help them and a lot of times you find out things is um, I, I put in a vacation request two weeks ago and I haven't heard anything you know and so there's different yeah. things that you discover when you talk to your team so that's that's to me you know very important hmm. lifting them up I think that's yeah that is thank yeah. you absolutely thanks Adelaide you know one of the things that impresses me about you among others um, is that you've really got a, a broad 
circle of influence. You've been able to accomplish a lot, uh, you know, at CHS just because you're, you're, you're really good at building relationships and have moved CDI from just a, uh, you know, another department or a small department, an important department, but really broadened its influence and, and now touch on a lot of different departments. Um, of course, we all know that many CDI initiatives need Co-op, you know, we need the cooperation of physicians. We need other departments. We need coding. We need quality to get to buy into what we're doing. But maybe you could share with our audience. Maybe what 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 have you learned along the way about making these connections, and and how do you get CDI's agenda not only visible but people to respond to it uh, throughout your organization? I think the key thing, and someone told me this, and a long time ago. You want to have it where people want to work with you. So that's the important piece. And it's all in presentation. And I do, um, I work very hard to make sure I don't speak in terms of uh, we have a problem, we have um, issues or situation. I speak in terms of opportunities and where we can make a difference. And so that's very key. It's how you present yourself in a scenario because, again, you don't want to come across as threatening somebody in their position. You want to come across as a, as a team player. And I think that's extremely important. Also, I built the relationships with the 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 uh, CMOs. I'm embedded in with the revenue cycle team because, again, we, we play a role. And, and that's a piece where, okay, how can we make a difference? And never saying, oh, no, we can't do that. But stopping and saying, let me take a look at this and see how I can accomplish this or where I would need your assistance to further accomplish this. I never say I can't do that. That's, you know, my staff will tell you, Adelaide, she, it's not that I don't say, no, I always say, let's take a time out and see where do we go with this. And that's an important thing because people always say, no, that's not my job. Or, or, or mm-hmm. I always say it's an opportunity to have another thing that you know and have learned and can give back. Right. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. critical because that's um, it's it's natural to want to say that that's not my job, you know, that we're, yeah. that's not what CDI yeah. job description is. but. I, I know you've always taken the opposite. It's not saying yes to everything, but it's it's being well open to to these other um, opportunities. Yeah. And speaking about opportunities, we couldn't let you go without talking about this. Where do you see CDI going? Um, you know, we're hearing a lot about outpatient CDI. Where are the new areas that we can go to? Um, where do you think it is? Is it in denials? Is it in imp- improving technology? Where do you see us going from here? Well, you know, this is something where I where I do stop and say, okay, one year, where should we be in three and five and ten? And understanding we may be faced with a lot of changes where if they do change the value of the MCCC list, um, people are like, okay, well, what do we do with the CDI? We're not going to show a difference a- anymore. And so what I say most important, if you haven't gotten involved with the DRG appeals, I think CDI plays in a very important role of those denials to come in to oversee those denials and also be part of the appeal process. So that's something, you know, I feel, you know, has has sailed and we have to get on that, that ship for sure. And that's one thing I've done, um, been part of since the beginning of when I started the CDI programs. Also, 
where are we again? Yes, with documentation improvement in physicians' offices with the HTCs. How about denial management in physician billing in the future? Because they get denial for medical necessity and maybe it's not the right diagnosis. Also, what I'm expanding in with the hospital is the simple visit coded cases. Sometimes that PET scan or that MRI gets denied because the the uh, script gave a diagnosis that didn't meet a medical necessity. But for outpatient, you can read the report. If there's a diagnosis there, you can code it and you can get payment. So I'm constantly looking for areas where clinical documentation could make a difference of us reviewing the case and saying, wait a minute, it should be reported this way. Hmm. Gotcha. So hey, just great. general areas of opportunity and denials too. Yeah. It seems like a big part yeah. of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And eventually we need to expand into the CPT world of coding because that's the out, outpatient amp surge area. That's complex coding and the coders do a great job, but I think we also could assist in making sure we're getting the highest level of payment there. Right. Good thoughts. You know, uh, finally, Adelaide, I want to wrap up with just a short discussion. So, uh, again, for our listeners, um, Adelaide's going to be co-presenting uh, at our CDI Management Essentials Precon. So this is a two-day pre-conference event prior to our 13th annual Actus Conference. These are, we offer three, three, three pre-cons, um, CDI Management Essentials, uh, Outpatient CDI Precon, and one for Physician Advisors. So Adelaide on day two of this pre-con is going to be sharing a lot more about her program and her her, um, her role as a manager, director, and leader uh, at CHS. But just curious, Adelaide, what you what you plan to uh, to present? Um, what you and just in general, what you're excited about regarding the conference? I know you've you've been a regular there for us. You've you've done an ICD-10 seminar for us, and uh, it's be great to have you back. But uh, anything that you can uh, tip off our audience about that you might be talking about at the pre-con. Well, I, again, I thank you for this opportunity. And to me, when I come to the Actus Conference, it's like coming home. And so it's about being with people and regrouping, sharing, experiencing uh, your experiences, your journey. Um, it's providing motivation. I, I think that's just it. Um, meeting new peers, reminiscing with the old, and just be able to, to give um, – inside of where I think we still need to go. And that, you know, I remember a doctor saying to me one day, what are you going to do when we learn how to document? Um, you're not going to have a job. Well, that was probably 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, we, it's beyond telling doctors how to document. We have such a vision out there to, and, and goals to fulfill. So, and I'd love to show um, how we have joined the path of HIM and CDI and where we're intending to go. And the most important thing is the greatest piece of being a leader is that after I leave, I want to see this continues to be sustainable and that the next person comes in with their vision to further grow it. So, you know, I never take the attitude, oh, see what happens when I'm not here. It's more like the greatest privilege I can have is that when I am ready now to move to maybe I win lotto, who knows, or become that <laughs> grandma full time, that I can um, see, you know, that what I have done sustains and grows further. And, and and I'm always planning who's going to be in the next row, where who's the who out there is gonna be the me in the future or the me uh the, the person for this position or that position. So that's a very key, key piece. Mm -hmm. Um planning succession plans. Yep. 
All right. Yeah, I'm just quickly showing just the agenda for our pre-con. Again, um, if, if you are interested in registering for this, uh, our first 25 registrants, and we're almost full there, um, are, will get a free copy of the CDI Director's Cut, which is our new uh, management handbook that we're very, very pleased with. All right. Well, I appreciate the um, all the discussion today, Adelaide. We are going to move back to our poll question, so I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Um, let's see here. All right. You guys see that on my screen, the poll results? Yeah. All right. So, again, we asked our audience, what skill or trait does today's CDI leader need above all others? So 52%, our highest, um, our largest bucket said people and relationships management, most important skill or trait for today's CDI leader. That was followed by passion and vision, 27%. Uh, third place came data analysis, 14%. 2% tech savvy and 4% said other. So I'm gonna go ahead and take a look at what those other responses are, but any initial thoughts on our poll question, Adelaide? No, I, I, I probably would have answered the same way if somebody asked me how would I would put this in priority order. You know, we always say it's people, process, and technology is, to me, only can happen if you have the other two in place. So this is great jobs, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting uh, some of the, most of the other responses were all of the above. So several folks, several of our listeners mentioned all of the above. An equal balance. I feel all the above traits on the polling question are needed for leadership. Uh, one area does not make a good leader. Um, someone else no. wrote, leadership is about being an emotional cheerleader and developing your people individually. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, you must have to, had to do a lot of that. I imagine Adelaide staff development yeah, and every absolutely. every one of your staff probably a little different with different strengths and knowing how to how do I work with those types of those absolutely. types of strengths. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on to our uh, in the news segment. Let's go ahead and close out this poll. I'm going to pull this up on our screen here. Okay, one moment, folks. All right. So, in the news. In the news is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today, I'd like to discuss this article. You should be seeing it on your screen now. Um, it is from Kaiser Health News, and the title reads, Preeminent hospitals penalized over rates of patients' injuries. Um, as I always do, I'll be sharing the link to the story in the show notes uh, when we post the recording of today's program on actus.org. But essentially from the article, uh, hundreds of hospitals across the nation, including a number with sterling reputations for cutting edge care, will be paid less by Medicare after the federal government pronounced that they had higher rates of infections and patient injuries than others. So CMS, uh, this article was dated, I believe, January 31st, but they announced uh, recently that um, 
786 hospitals nationwide will receive lower payments under the Hospital Acquired Conditions Program, or perhaps we better know what the HAC Reduction Program, uh, which is part of the Affordable Care Act. These penalties are designed to encourage better care without taking the extreme step of tossing a hospital out of Medicare or Medicaid programs. So this is in its sixth year, um, and the article notes that hack penalties remain awash in criticism. So this program is not without its critics, uh, some of which are saying that the, uh, the cuts are arbitrary and unfair. Um, whereas on the other side, some patient advocates believe that these penalties, which are about 1%, we'll get into that in a minute, are too small to really make any difference in behavior. Um, research has shown that while hospital infections are decreasing overall, it's hard to attribute that to penalties. Um, so there's a quote here from Andrew Ryan, who's a professor of healthcare management at University of Michigan School of Public Health. Um, that there is limited evidence that this is the kind of program that makes things better. Um, so just in short, to recap this program, if you're not familiar with it, under the law, Medicare is mandated each year to punish the quarter, so 25% of general care hospitals that have the highest rates of patient safety issues. These include things like rates of infection, blood clots, sepsis cases, bed sores, hip fractures, and other complications that occur in hospitals. Uh, and might have been prevented. They cut every payment for 1% for those hospitals uh, over the course of the federal fiscal year, so October through the end of December, uh, September, excuse me. Since the program's onset, the article goes on to read, uh, 865 of the nation's 5,276 hospitals have been penalized for at least one year. Um, many hospitals escape penalties, uh, CAHs, for example, um, veterans or psychiatric patients, but, uh, but this year, uh, 145 hospitals received their first penalty, uh, Kaiser Health News analysis found, and uh, they also found that 16 that had been penalized every year, so for the first five years of the hack reduction program, have avoided punishment. So presumably their rates of infection or hacks uh, declined enough to get them out of that penalty bucket. Um, what I thought was interesting is not only the article, but they actually have a link here. You can look up your hospital and is it being penalized by Medicare? That takes you here to this website. Um, and you can actually, if you scroll down just a bit, you can, you can look up every hospital um, by state even by year, uh, and it will tell you, um, you know, who's getting penalized for hacks and also for, uh, for readmissions. So an interesting um, interactive website that's associated with this piece uh, on, on the hack reduction program. Maybe I'll just ask you, Adelaide, any, any thoughts on this article? Is this something that you guys monitor? The, the, the hack program. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. In fact, you know, CDI is, is involved working with PI, wound care, um, the uh, infectious um, disease team, anything that is um, a potential hack, um, um, anything that falls within, you know, a, a PSI um, scenario, we work with them to review it again. The most important is to get that present on a mission and also awareness to every, everyone about a, a scenario of something that, that is taking place. 
you know, I, I think this this has gotten the hospitals to become more aware, put certain safety measures in place, you know, the sepsis bundle, the skincare bundle, bundle. and this is a report card, and, and no one wants their report card to look bad. So it's, it's another incentive to make sure the hospitals are doing all they can to prevent these events from happening. So right. um, I'm okay with it. And I, I think the hospitals um, are too, and they're trying to do their very best. But sometimes a patient comes in, they're so compromised, you can't prevent, you know, a skin breakdown or, um, you know, maybe a DVT. It just, it just happens. Yeah. And there's a lot in the article about that, just about how some of these aren't necessarily reflective of poor care. They're just, you know, patients with a lot of acute conditions and, and stuff that's going to happen. It's just on whose watch. So, um, but it's certainly, I think the incentives are in the right place here. Anything to add here, uh, Sharm, at all before we move on? No, I, I agree. Our patients are much more complex. And when they're getting to later stages of their lives, they are much more compromised. I do think 1% is a lot of money. Um, yeah. I certainly wouldn't think that's something I would take for granted in these big hospitals where every penny counts, 1% can end up being a lot of money. Right. Absolutely. I know it, it doesn't sound like a lot on when you say 1%, but when you actually look what that figure is, it's uh, it's pretty high. Yeah. And then add it to some of the other initiatives. I mean, you could talk upwards of 6% with value-based right. purchasing, you know, um, the readmission reduction program. So it is a bit of money. Yep. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to wrap up with a quick Actus update here. So Actus update is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going inside of Actus. Um, wanted to let you know that applications are currently open for the Actus Achievement Awards. So what you're looking at here is our Actus Achievement Awards landing page. This is actually under the conference page, annual conference, and you will see Achievement Awards here on the left. Um, this year, we've got a simplified process. We have, we're op we have uh, openings for four awards. Uh, these range, and I'll scroll down to show you what they are. We have CDI Professional of the Year, which is our top award, recognition of CDI Professional Achievement, Excellence in Provider Engagement, and Rookie of the Year. The latter is for someone who has served for less than two years from the time of his or her nomination. So. Um, this is a, a pretty simple process. We ask you just a few questions about the candidate um, and what their achievements are. It's a it's a it's a field uh, form you have to fill out here. The link is right here, and it's now open. We are looking for applicants for our achievement awards. Adelaide LaRosa is a former winner, um, and it's a prestigious award. You know, we we hand these out at the conference. Glass engraved awards. Our CDI Professional of the Year receives free attendance to the conference. Um, all of our award winners get recognized not only uh, on the morning of day two at our awards ceremony in front of the whole crowd uh, with some words about them and their achievements. We also invite them to our closing night awards reception on the last full night of the conference. Um, so it's, it's really, we, we're honoring excellence here and we do encourage you to if you have a peer that uh, someone in your program that you think is award worthy or maybe it's someone you know from another hospital maybe you know them through your local chapter or you've met them at a conference or through networking uh, and actus membership 
go ahead and nominate them. You can't win if you do not apply. And again, it's it's uh, seven questions we're asking, and that will help our our conference committee make determinations on our award winners. So go ahead and apply. I believe this is open through February 26th, so the next couple of weeks we are going to be continuing to promote these. But make sure you you do you do go ahead and apply. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. Uh, we'll be back here again in two weeks for our next program, Mortality Risk Adjustment, what your CDI team needs to know. This continues our series of uh, from guests who are going to be presenting at our upcoming 2020 Actus conference in May. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via your favorite uh, uh, podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We put these recordings up on the on these various um, sites the Friday following our live show. Um, and as also was discussed, when we post the recording, we will put the links uh, to these, um, to the Actors Achievement Awards, as well as our Kaiser Health News story uh, up on the page. So again, I want to thank Adelaide for joining us today, as well as Charm. For everybody else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks, and take care, everyone.